Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Everyone around us wants us to question authority. And at the end of the day, it's nothing more than a sneaky, subversive attack on the gospel. That's what we're looking at today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us. many in this day and age, and especially in our culture, the gospel is a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. There's no real authority to it. But then we've been conditioning and training our children from an early age to question authority. Makes perfect sense that as they grow older, they would question ultimate authority. But Paul addresses that here in Galatians and tells us we really don't have a choice. The gospel is authoritative. End of story, period, end of sentence. And it brings great comfort as you stop to think and consider that there is a final authority and one that is just, true, right, sinless. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose to give us a look at the authority of the gospel, part two. There is no more relevant book in the whole world than this little book of Galatians. In the 16th century, as I stated last week, when Martin Luther began preaching on it, it hit Europe like a nuclear bomb. And my prayer is that as the book of Galatians is preached in the 21st century, it will hit this culture like a nuclear bomb. It is very relevant because it deals with two of the most fundamentals of the Christian faith. The heart and soul of Christianity was at stake in the churches of Galatia. And Paul was writing this book in order to discredit the false teachers who were trying to subvert the church with false doctrines, who were saying Paul's authority is not worthy of being followed and his gospel is not worthy of being believed. So Paul writes the book of Galatians. And the two main things I want you to remember that he addresses are authority and gospel. They have always been under attack in the history of the Christian church. And they are ferociously under attack today. In that people are questioning both the authority of scripture as well as the content and the relevancy of the gospel of the Bible. We can't get any more basic and any more at the center of things than when we talk about the authority of Christianity and the gospel of Christianity. When we talk about why we should believe what the Christian faith tells us to believe and what the Christian faith tells us not to believe. And in the first five verses of this chapter that we began looking at last Sunday, Paul plunges right into the argument And in the first two verses, he establishes his authority. He says, here is why you should not listen to anyone else coming to you with any other understanding of life 
and any other understanding of the gospel. I am an apostle, he says, and I have apostolic authority that I did not get from any other man, and the message I preach I did not get from any man. But both my commission and my message I received from Jesus Christ himself. God sent Jesus into the world with a gospel, a way out of the mess that our sins have gotten us into. He has handed down to me, says Paul, by his Holy Spirit, that gospel, perfect and entire. And now I write it down in this passage, and I hand it to you. So apostolic authority is divine authority. And when you listen to the Spirit-inspired apostles of Jesus, you are listening to God himself. Ideas and words. A message that did not in any sense originate with any man, any church, any group of men, however famous on austere they may be. The gospel, the words that it express, the thoughts that are in it, the ideas it proclaims all came from the mind of God himself. So to turn from his, this prophetic apostolic gospel is to turn from Christ and from God. And to accept this and to base your life upon it and to seek to understand life in its light is to submit to God himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our responsible with this great responsibility, with this great treasure is not only to believe it and to live by it, but to pass it down to our children as pure and as entire as we have received it from the pages of Holy Writ. Everything we ever need to know about God, everything we ever need to know about how to be reconciled by God, how to glorify God and live for God and enjoy God in this world, Everything we need is in the pages of this divinely authoritative work. And beloved, it needs no abridgment or supplementation. That is the first point that Paul makes to establish right from the beginning of this book. The second thing is in verses 3 through 5, which we're going to look at today. He has established in the first two verses the divine authority of the Christian gospel, why you should believe what the Christian faith tells you to believe as that faith is based on the word of God. And now in verses three through five, he explains the divine content of the Christian gospel, what it is that Christ wants us to believe. Paul spends much of the book of Galatians defining the gospel, because remember, there were Judaizers in the churches there, Men who were perverting the gospel by wanting to return to a Judaistic type of Christianity. They didn't believe, as Paul preached, that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. They believed salvation is by faith in Christ and by performing rituals and by maintaining a proper type of character. You have to believe in Christ in order to get the strength those Judaizers and modern-day Judaizers tell us, in order to be faithful, in order to be all of, do, do all of the rituals that God wants you to do, 
and in order to merit salvation by having a proper kind of behavior. So salvation, according to the Judaizers, is not by faith in Christ alone. And alone is the key word. The word separates Protestantism from Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. We believe in faith in Christ alone. They don't. But there is no other gospel that saves but faith in Christ alone. And the Judaizers that still find expression today believe that salvation is by putting your faith in Christ in order to get the grace to merit salvation by good works. And therefore, those who hold such Judaizing gospels will say, the credit goes to Christ and to me for my salvation. So Paul, because of their attempts to subvert the church, begins right from the start of his book to define the basic elements of the true gospel. Now, you know what gospel means, I'm sure. Gospel is good news from God about God. It is not good news from man about man. It is not good news from God about man. It is good news from God about God. It is something that we, sh we would never have known about God if God had not revealed it in history and in the words of Scripture. And today, as always throughout the history of the church, there is much confusion about what the gospel is. So that's why the book of Galatians is still so relevant for us today, to clear away all the garbage and all of the clutter and to get back to the truth, because there is only one gospel that saves. There is only one gospel that will get you to God, and that is the gospel of apostolic authority. So what are some of the gospels today that are really pseudo-gospels that people think are the gospel but are not the gospel at all? Well, it is prevalent view in our culture today that there is no gospel from God. God has left man to himself and to his problems. If there is a God at all, that God has certainly not entered into history and accomplished anything, much less spoken in human words. There is no gospel from God. But whatever gospel that you want to believe in, and it works for you, do it. Different strokes for different folks. There's no gospel from God, but if you find something to believe in, and you stick with it, and you base your life on it, and it works for you, then by all means, follow it. That is one idea. A second modern definition of the gospel is that God loves everybody unconditionally and has forgiven everyone of everything. Therefore, just accept that fact and enjoy life. Or there's another description. Jesus came to show us how to love one another. So if we use our imagination and continually ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And imitate him according to what we have imagined, everything will be all right. Then there's another description. Jesus loves you. So you don't need to be lonely again. 
He can save you from all of your problems and make you feel a lot better. So just turn over things to him. Here's another presentation. Jesus came to make salvation possible for everyone who completes the process and makes that salvation effective in this life by faith in him. Here's another. You can be saved from your sins if you simply ask Jesus into your heart. Beloved, I say to you, all of those are false gospels that will not save anyone from hell. Because every one of them are out of accord with the apostolic gospel. The gospel that Paul got from Jesus. That is the only gospel that saves. So, beloved, I tell you, Because there is only one true gospel that saves, make sure the gospel that you are counting on is the true one. And not one you have been deceived by good and upright people into believing might be true. How do you know that the gospel that you are banking your eternal destiny on is the gospel that Paul preached? You read your Bible. You don't listen to famous men. You don't read popular books. You read the Bible and you continually evaluate what people are telling you the gospel is, me included, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from God, who gave it to Paul to preach and to write, which is recorded infallibly by men inspired by the Holy Spirit, In the word of God. Don't hesitate to do it. Don't be reluctant to do it. Don't think it's not a necessary responsibility on your heart. Because I believe that there are millions of people today who are believing in a gospel that does not have the power to save them from hell. So in verses 3 through 5, we see seven elements of the true gospel. And I would encourage you to write these down. Seven basic elements of the only gospel in this world that can do you any good because it is the only gospel that is from God himself. Let me read to you these three verses, verses three through five, once again, and see if you can pick out the seven elements. Seven elements in just three verses. Grace to you. First of all, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Now let me give them to you. And you can try and write them down as I give them to you. I'll try to read it slow. But I'm going to go through each one of these so you can write them down Uh, As I do that. The true gospel is a gospel of grace and peace. It is a gospel that originates with God and not man. It is a gospel for all kinds of sinners. It is a gospel that rests on the sacrificial and redemptive death of Jesus Christ. It is a gospel that delivers sinners from their bondage to evil. 
It is a gospel that is rooted in the sovereign will of Almighty God, and it is a gospel that has as its ultimate goal to bring glory to God. Now let's look at each one of these basic elements, because this is the structure of the basic content of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, it is a gospel of grace and peace, there in verse 3. Paul prays for those to whom he is writing. That's what's in verse 3. It is an apostolic prayer. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is praying by these words is simply this. May you Christians in the Galatian churches receive by God's grace everything you need for your happiness in this life and in the life to come and after death as well. That's what he's saying when he says this gospel is a gospel of grace and peace. So to understand the gospel, we need to understand what the Bible means by those two words, grace and peace. Now let me say it again at the risk of being repetitive. When it comes to biblical words, you want to know what the words of the Bible mean. And therefore, you don't look it up in Webster's Dictionary. Because Webster's Collegiate Dictionary today presents the prostitution and bastardization of English. Now, you can go ahead and look it up in Noah Webster's original dictionary if you want to, because he was a dedicated Christian. But the point is, let the Bible define the biblical words and make sure when you read the Bible, you understand the words Like, for instance, the word grace. The gospel is a gospel of grace and peace. What does the word grace mean? Well, in many of the articles that I read on the Internet several weeks ago, it has become clear to me that way too many people who profess to be Christians have no understanding of grace. They have no idea why grace is so amazing. So let me give you some reasons of why grace is so amazing. All of these ideas are inseparably connected with the word grace in Scripture. First of all, it is unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor from God. God looks upon one with favor. That person doesn't deserve it. He hasn't earned it. He is even unworthy of it. The only thing he deserves is God's condemnation throughout eternity. So God's favor, God's mercy, God's grace is always unearned, unmerited, and undeserved. Second, God's grace is always prevenient. P-R-E-V-E-N-I-E-N-T. Prevenient made of two Latin words, to come before. God's grace always takes the first step. That is, in becoming a Christian, it is God's grace that comes to you first before you make any decision for Christ. Because you will never make a decision for Christ unless Christ first looks upon you with favor and enables you to do what you cannot do because of your rebellion against God and your spiritual death. God's grace is prevenient. It always comes before any decision you make for God. 
God has to soften you up for it. God has got to persuade you to do it. God has got to enable you to do it by His almighty grace. Or you will never do anything that is pleasing to Him. Third, God's grace is omnipotent grace. That is, it is consistent with God's almighty power. And when God is determined to look upon someone with favor, all of the power in hell cannot stop him. So God's power is not only omnipotent, it is irresistible. You can run from God as fast as you run or run and shake your puny little fist in the air. Blaspheme God at every turn and hate Him with all your heart. But if God chose you for salvation from the beginning of time, sometime or another, Almighty Grace is going to smack you down and change your life. And you will stand up, finding yourself loving God. Or you may resist Him for a little while, but you won't resist Him for long because it is omnipotent, irresistible grace. It is sovereign grace. God has mercy on whom He will have mercy. God has compassion on whom He will have compassion. And God hardens who He will. He doesn't owe his favor to anyone. All he owes us is condemnation. And God alone determines upon whom he shall show his favor and upon whom he will not. It is sovereign grace. The old story of Israel in Egypt. Israel was in Egypt and Israel had some faithful people. But many of the Israelites had adopted Egyptian lifestyles and Egyptian sins. And Israel was not worthy of being liberated from bondage. But God steps into the picture. And you know the story of how he destroyed the Egyptian culture by means of plagues in order to deliver Israel from Egypt. And then parting the Red Sea so that Israel could pass through on dry land. And then when Pharaoh and his army came to attack the Israelites, they were drowned all of them now why did God save Israel and destroy Egypt they're both sinful well the only answer the Bible gives us time and again in the book of Exodus is I put a difference between Israel and Egypt and the difference was sovereign grace God says I chose before the beginning of time to save Israel in spite of their sins and destroy Egypt because of hers. Grace is sovereign grace. Well, what is peace? The gospel is a gospel of God's grace and God's peace. Peace is that which Jesus establishes between his people and the living God. We have been reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. We were at once at war with him. But now... Christ has established peace. As a result, we are friends with God and we enjoy the peace of God in our lives. The word peace is in Hebrew is shalom and means the restoration of total health. The restoration of God's order on earth so that peace in the fullest sense of the word doesn't simply mean a calmness of spirit. Because it's not just a subjective thing. 
The Bible says peace on earth towards men upon whom God's pleasure rests. And peace is a comprehensive prosperity and total spiritual health in every aspect of a person's life. By God's grace, He gives sinners peace. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 